Thank you, Carolina Heart Song and Pathfinders. Have you been blessed this morning? I tell you, in case we have forgotten, we have a very talented church family. Go through the program. I, I urge you to do that. There's 30-plus people that were involved in our program this morning, and we're proud of each and every one of you and your contributions. As I mentioned earlier, this Pathfinder Club is growing, and I don't believe Sue mentioned that this last fall they were able to go to Oshkosh. I know we've reported on that, but you may have missed that uh, when they did that. 46,000 Pathfinders came to Oshkosh for this event from 50 different countries. We were represented there. I am told that the population of Oshkosh increases by 70% when they have this um, big camporee, if you will, every five years. I was also curious, and you look very sharp this morning, Pathfinders, how many honors can a person get? Have you ever wondered that? Well, I did some poking around online. I found that there are 492 honors that a Pathfinder can get. No pressure. Now, Miss Sue, she has about 200 or so, and we thought that was a lot. And not only that, you can add, there's a process that you can add new honors, and you can go through that process, and so next time I check, it might be over 500 honors that you can get. Do you wonder what type of honors? Well, there are 97 different honors in arts, crafts, and hobbies, 20 honors in health and science. Household arts, that's a fancy way of saying help, right? <clears throat> 20. Nature honors, 107. And each of these takes a significant amount of time. Outdoor industry honors, 15. Spiritual growth, outreach, heritage honors, 66. That includes the community service, and there's some ADRA honors. Avenus Relief Agency. And then we have recreational honors of 99, vocational honors, another 45. Regional honors, there's 20 of those, and then master awards, 18. But don't worry, you all look sharp. And I love all of your honors. In fact, if you haven't done so already, ask these young people today, what is this one all about? I've done that a few times. Sometimes I pull it up, which one? I don't remember. When did we do that? <laughs> but most of them, they can tell you. You know, the Bible tells in Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, what? Do it with all your might. You all are learning principles of hard work, of patience, of enduring, of teamwork, all kinds of things you are learning that help equip you for life. In fact, this week, Wednesday night, is inspection. Bum, bum, bum. You will be here extra early to make sure everything is in place and that you're wearing everything just right and everything is where it needs to be. And Miss Sue will be a little bit nervous. No, she'll be calm as a cucumber. Some of you are already working, and you're learning. These principles do apply on the job side. You work hard, you get paid. 
We keep track of your hours, and that will determine how much you get paid. Or if you don't show up, and if you're late, well, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for you here anymore. It's the same in school. You work to get honors there too, right? If you want to get the honor called a diploma, you got to work for it. In fact, that honor requires a lot of other classes or honors, if you will, and you have to pass those. If you study hard, chances are you'll do well. And if you don't study so hard, well, you will do, we'll just say not so well. But everywhere we look, not just for you as pathfinders, but as us as adults, it seems like there's always a measuring. How do you measure up? How are you coming along? Do we feel good about your progress? That's not a bad thing. We need accountability, right? If your teachers were to tell you, now when is this big project due? Whenever you want. How many of you would turn in the project? Uh, not so many. What time does school start? Whenever you get here. That wouldn't work either. How long does recess last? Well, when you come in, then it's over. Ha ha. No, we need to have that accountability. We need to have that measuring stick, if you will. But I submit to you today, young people and adults alike, there's an area in our spiritual lives that if we're not careful, we take the same measuring tape, the same measuring stick that we're so accustomed to in every part and detail of our lives, and we try and apply that to our religious experience, or maybe I should say to our salvation. And that starts to become a problem. Are you measuring up? Have you done enough good things for God to accept you? Have you cleaned up your act enough to come to church? See, there's some areas there that really the measuring tape stands in the way. And that's what I want to look at this morning, because with God's system, oftentimes it's backwards, it's upside down, it's reverse of the norm or the natural, what feels right. 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. What? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Maybe those that recognize their spiritual, their spiritual impoverishment. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. Or this one, Matthew 5, 39. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him. Wait a minute. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do not store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures where? In heaven. All these things are, are counterintuitive. They don't come natural. And sometimes I think that's what leads to our idea that maybe God will accept me if I just get enough honors. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to obey. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
But sometimes that goes out the window and it has nothing to do with love. It's just, I, 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 I want to be there. I want to be found worthy. I, I want this and I want that. I, I just have to measure up. So I better fall in line. I better do everything that's expected of me. Turn with me, if you will, if you brought your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read a passage here this morning, several passages actually, that deal with this idea of the measuring stick. Because it's not just you and it's not just me. We find it throughout Scripture, people that are having a hard time with this idea. So we're in Matthew chapter 19, beginning verse 16, and it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? There's the measuring stick, right? What good thing do I need to do to have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And so Jesus said, and I'm going to quiz you now, you shall not murder. Which commandment is that? Six. And then he says, you shall not commit adultery. Which commandment is that? Seven, that's good. You shall not steal, which is the eighth. You shall not bear false witness, which is the ninth. And so he's going through this sequence, and everybody knows what he's going to say next. He starts with this, the, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth. It must naturally just be the? Oh, come on. You've taken those tests in school, right? Two, four, six, eight, which comes next? Ten. Seven, eight, nine. What are this? This is insulting. Ten. We're expecting to hear number ten. Which is this man's problem, by the way? We call him the rich young ruler, so I'm just going to call him rich. This is rich's problem. Number ten, he needs the tenth one. So everybody's waiting. Oh, here it comes. Oh, here it comes. Honor your father and your mother. That's the fifth. And you shall love your neighbor of the law. That's a Levitical summation. That's it. So the young man, rich, scratches his head a little bit. He says, all these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? He knows something's missing. So verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Very similar to the invitation he offered to the fishermen, wasn't it? Go sell your, your, your boat, your nets, all of those things and come and follow me. Some even say Jesus is offering this businessman, very successful businessman, in business terms, the same thing. Be a disciple. Give up everything that you have. Give everything to the poor. Step out in faith and follow me. 
But when the young man, Rich, heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had what? Great possessions. And if we read on, verse 22, sorry, we read 22, 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard it, they were what? Greatly astonished. They were dumbfounded, if you will. Their mouths are left hanging open. They have just watched Jesus say it's hard for a healthy, wealthy Jew to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in their mind, if you are healthy, God is blessing you. If you're wealthy, God is blessing you. If you are a Jew, all of these things come together. You're a shoe-in, and he says it's hard for them to enter in. Now, if this guy can't be saved, Jesus, please, can you sense their insecurity? They're greatly perplexed and astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Tell us, we, we, don't, we don't understand then, please. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Works have no part. With man, this is impossible. Now, we like to quote this verse if we lose our softball in the tall weeds and we say a prayer and we find it. When we need to pass some big test or our boards or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying it's wrong to claim this verse in that context, but we must realize that Jesus is using this verse and says these words in the context of salvation. With man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. So then Peter speaks up, verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, Oh, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? There's the measuring stick again. Do you see it? Lord, we couldn't give up as much as Rich. He had an awful lot. But we had a pretty nice fishing boat. We had good nets. We had some tackle. We had the beginnings of what was going to be a very nice business. Look what we have given up. What do we get now? Both Rich and Peter have this same measuring stick, measuring tape approach to salvation. What can I get in exchange for what I have given? And it's in that context that Jesus then tells this parable. And it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. You know this parable well, right? He sends out his, his hired hand to go and bring people in to work in his vineyard. And he starts at six in the morning, early, the sun is just coming up. Come, I'll pay you a denarius, a day's wage. That's respectable, we'll come. And so sure enough, they come. 
and then again at 9 o'clock, and again at 12 o'clock, and later into the day, until finally at 5 o'clock, one hour before the sun is going to set. He grabs a few more, and they come into the vineyard, and I'll pay you a fair wage. Okay, no problem. The end of the day comes. He lines them all up, and he starts paying them with the last one to show up. And he's going to work his way to the guy that was here early this morning. I don't know. I understand it's winter and we haven't been in our gardens for a while. But gardening's hard work. To be in a vineyard's hard work. So the scene is now, you almost have these levels of exhaustion from the back to the front. People back here are dirty, they're sweaty, they're tired, they're stinky. And the guy up here at the front... He's got a little bit of dirt right here on the side of his white t-shirt and a bead of sweat right here that he just wiped off and he's standing in line. Do you see the picture? And we pick up the story in verse, end of verse 8, call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. And when they came who were hired about the 11th hour they each receive a denarius, a day's wage. We scored on this one. We just worked an hour and he gave us the full, the full day. Now what do you think the guys behind them are thinking? Oh, this is going to be sweet. They come up, same thing. They come up, same thing. Verse 10, it says, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and then likewise receive each a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you you want to set the base of their complaint? You've made them equal to us. It's not so much that what you're giving us is not fair. Because they agreed at the beginning of the day. Go back and check your parable. Yeah, that's respectable. We'll work for denarius. No problem. So they can't accuse them of not being fair. But they're saying, you're making them equal to us. We're measuring here. And they have not done near as good as we have done. We have put in our hard work and our sweat all day long. And you have made them equal to us. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal. But he answered, verse 13, to one of them and said, friend. Isn't that disarming? Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give you this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye only evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Friends, they all got the same. Those that have been there almost an hour, and those that were there all day, they all got the same. I think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith 
and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Sometimes at the front of the line, they need a little more grace. Some in our church or society may need a little more grace. They weren't born into a fourth-generation Adventist home. They were not given a chance at Christian education at all, perhaps. They weren't given parents that love them and care for them. Instead, they were given a deadbeat dad that showed up drunk, and if they were lucky, he would only beat them for half an hour. They were born with an addiction to drugs because of their mother's choices. They were thrust into a life of survival where if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. Friends, there's people at the front of the line that might need just a little more grace. Amen? Amen. But the fact of the parable remains. We all need grace. Is it true? We all need grace. Well, what about the 12th hour worker? Well, he was hired. He's under grace. We're all saved by grace. We all get the same. For by grace you were saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yet we all have this tendency to pull out the yardstick and to measure and fall back into this idea of earning mentality, even of salvation. Well, what, what I do is based on what I'm, or what I get is based on what I've given. And so just like Rich, just like Peter, just like the workers in the field, I will get this because I have been so good. No, you receive salvation because He is so good. We don't get what we deserve. We get what He deserves, even the 12-hour worker. I want to look at one last story. Luke chapter 15. It's a well-known story. We're not going to look at every piece of it because you know it very well. But it's the story of the prodigal son. You know the story well. He goes to his dad. He says, I wish you were dead. I want your, my half inheritance now. He goes, he squanders it in a life of, of terrible living. Nothing about what he does or how he lives is honorable. And he finds himself friendless, penniless, with the pigs, thinking, you know what? My dad has hired hands that live way better than I'm living now. And I want to focus on the speech because he's practicing his speech. How can I go back? Oh, I can't go back. What am I going to tell him? I don't know. I'll just stay here. But eventually he says, no, I have to do something. This is not working. And so he practices his speech and we read it in verse 18. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Part A. Make me like one of your hired servants. Part B. The idea is, I've messed up, I was wrong, I'm not even worthy to be called your son, part A. But part B is, if you'll let me just be like one of your hired servants, let me earn my way back into your favor. Do you see that part of the speech? I don't expect any 
extras. I don't expect you to, to give me any privileges. Just put me at the bottom of the barrel. I'm feeding pigs right now, Dad. You understand? Anything. I'll do anything. You don't even have to call me a son. You can call me whatever you want. Just let me work back my favor with you. So he practices his speech. Day after day, he's feeding the pigs. He's practicing his speech. He finally gets up enough courage. He makes the way home, nervous. Knees are knocking. How's Dad going to receive me? You know, I, I, know I, I know what I deserve. I deserve to be thrown out of the house. I deserve for him to just slam the door in my face. He's probably not even going to answer. What am I doing? No, I have to. And he's conflicted, but he, finally he goes. And the father is not even peeking between, maybe he's peeking between the blinds. I imagine him outside. And he sees him coming a long way off. And he knows that walk. Every single one of you in here has a walk. You don't think you do. You have a walk. We all have a walk. He knows that walk. He says, that's my son. That's my son. And so this old man runs. Never happens in Scripture. This old man runs to meet his son. Throw his arms around him. And so while they're in this embrace, right? This isn't just, you know, handshake. No, he's, he's just doing this full hug, right? Like this. And while he's doing that, his face is pressed. Father, I have to tell you, I have something I want to tell you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. The father's hardly hearing any of it because he's just so excited. Listen to the part that he gets out, though. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Part A, and what was part B? Make me one of your hired servants. Let me prove to you all over again my faithfulness. You can measure me. He doesn't even be able to get to part B. But the father says to his servants, he interrupts. Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his, fit, on his hand. He's reinstating him as a son, by the way, full authority as a son. And sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He didn't earn anything. He just came back. But then there's the older son. He too has the same issue as Rich, as Peter, as the people in the field, as the prodigal. It's a servant-master relationship. And he's angry. And he wouldn't even go in. And his father has to come out. He says, lo, these many years, I have been serving you, Dad. And never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may be merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes home, you pull out the whole smash. Both brothers, we find out, are the same. Both have a master-servant relationship with the father. And this is where we fall back into if we don't recalibrate. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we resist that, don't we? Why? Well, it goes against our pride. 
Many of us have been programmed. I mean, we'll give to people till the cows come home. But when people try and give to us, oh, no, 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 no. We don't take charity. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Our pride will not allow us to accept a gift. And we bring that into our religious experience. But what about works? Now, don't get me wrong. Works have their place. In fact, if we just finish the verse in Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. That can even be translated, we are his works of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He wants us to do good works. But the problem is we think it's a measuring stick to measure up for him to accept us, and it's not the case. Friends, I'm convinced that when we truly fall at the foot of the cross, when we are truly converted, we will do everything in our power to please the one we love who's died for us. The core issue is who has your heart. We can say whatever we want with our mouth, but who has our heart? And if we give Jesus our heart, he says, I'll give you salvation. Well, I'm not fully cleaned up yet. That's okay. I still have a long ways to go. That's okay. You've given me your heart. I heard a great example of, you know, we argue sometimes, well, is this a salvation issue? Have you ever heard that? Red flag. If you're asking, is this a salvation issue, basically what you're saying is, I want to know where the minimum requirement is and I can still get in. Are you with me? My wife says, David, will you take out the trash? And I look at her and I say, is this a divorce issue? (laughs) If I don't take it out, are you going to divorce me? How do you think she'll respond to that? (laughs) But we do that to God. We say, God, is this a salvation issue? which reveals our heart, which is not then in submission to him and doing anything and everything we can to please him, but we just want to do the bare minimum and sneak in. That's the problem. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart we is, is where, how we act, right? But sometimes we get our works mixed up But works properly placed are not at the root, but they are the fruit. If my heart is in the right place, my life will show it. But if my heart is not in the right place, it's going to show that too. And the problem is, we as church members are so good at going through the motions, and we put on that Sabbath mask, and everything just looks fine. But inside, we're empty. Our heart is dry. And inwardly, there's some rebellion there. But as long as the work's on the outside, forget the works. Focus on the heart issue. We're so good at treating the symptoms. But where's the heart issue? If the heart is right, the fruit... If the root is good, the fruit will be good. If the the root is rotten, 
the fruit will be rotten. I may have told this story before, and I'll probably tell it again. But it's a time of our history that's not a pleasant time. However, it's part of our history, and it's during the slavery period in in this uh, part of the country. And Joe was put up on the auction block. And they were bidding for Joe. Now, Joe was a very stout young man, strong, had a lot of good working years left, and they started bidding. Terrible part of our history. And as they were bidding, Joe was saying under his breath, I will not work. I will not work. And the betting kept going higher and higher. I will not work. Finally sold to the man that had the highest price. But I will not work. He takes him away, puts him in his buggy, and off they go. The man who paid the high price tries to start up a conversation, and he doesn't say much other than he's not going to work. Pulls in to the ranch, if you want to call it that. And he says, Joe, here's your place right over here. Now, Joe's not accustomed to a place like this. Had nice windows. It had superfluous things like curtains on the windows. Had a nice rug for Joe to put his feet on early in the morning when he got out of bed. As he looked around, he thought, wow, this is really nice. But then it came right back. No, 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 but I I won't work. It's not going to work. I'm not going to work. Until eventually, the man who paid the high price said, Joe, there's something you need to understand. I didn't buy you to make you work. I bought you so I could set you free. You're free, Joe. And tears came down his eyes, and he said, Master, I'll serve you the rest of my life. If we are serving God for any other purpose than love for our master who has died for us and paid an incredibly high price and cost for us, then we're serving for the wrong reason. If I think even this much of my works are contributing in some way, then it's selfish, isn't it? If I do something for you to get something back for me, it's selfish. And if I'm living in that type of a mindset, I will be going through the motions, but I will be getting so frustrated because my life is powerless to overcome. My willpower, I'll, I'll be fatigued. I'll become resentful. It's a downward slope. But if I focus on Jesus... And what he's done for me. And so Pathfinders, I challenge you. Honors are good. Showing up on time is good. Follow through is good. All those things are good. But when it comes to your religious experience, make sure you're doing those things for the right reasons. 
Would you have fun completing those honors if we forced you and if you didn't do it, we'd beat you with something? Pathfinders isn't fun anymore. But when it's something you choose to do out of a love for something, it makes all the difference. May we choose Christ. May we surrender to Him in such a way that we say, Master, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the world in which we live, everyone seems to have a measuring stick to see if we measure up. And as crazy as it seems, you don't measure us. You just run down the hill in full gate and put your arms around us and reinstate us as a son and a daughter just because we've come back. We don't have to try and earn. We don't have to try and convince. You see our heart. You can perceive whether we're genuine or not. But when we come to you, you accept us, but you don't leave us there. By your grace and your Holy Spirit, you change us. But if we get that order mixed up, it can be such a dreaded experience rather than such a joy-filled experience. Lord, we want to be joy-filled Christians. We want them to know us by our love. And so may we focus on you and out of that strong root, may there be fruit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.